This is just a smidge more with Brandy Henson. I'm Holly Stillings, and this is everything you want to know without an appointment. This is a weekly podcast where medical profession and real life collide. Welcome everyone for part one of this episode. We are here with Dr. Courtney Martin, who's a board certified OBGYN. Let's dive right in. Thank you for joining us, Courtney. Oh, my pleasure. I'm honored to be the first guest and honored to be here. I mean, I relish any opportunity to talk about my job, how to help other women. I've always felt sort of like I'm, how did I get, make it through med school? Like, how do they let me in? I'm a little, I've always felt a little like legally blonde. <laughs> like, oh, my first day actually of med school, um, we didn't really use a lot of computers when I went to college because I took time off and was a pharmaceutical rep. And then I went back to med school and I showed up with like a pen and a pad of paper and like I was ready to take notes and everybody opened up laptops and guess what? There was a laptop quiz. I was like, okay. What? <laughs> Straight to go get a laptop. <laughs> so I I very much feel like El Woodsy sometimes and I just think I'm a regular person who happened to become a doctor. So I like the opportunity to just talk about like regular life stuff and how that sort of crosses over into female issues that often seem taboo, but aren't when you're a gynecologist. Right. <laughs> and ever since we announced you were going to be on the show, everyone's like, oh, Courtney, I love Courtney. Aww. She's so awesome. So, so thoughtful. We've had nothing but good juju with you Aww. coming on. So thanks for being here. Well, that means so much. I think that's kind of my mission to hopefully have when people know me or hear about me, that they would say such kind things that um, is really impactful and meaningful to me. So thank you for that. Awesome. Well, I guess we should just get into it. So we have so much to talk about. Yes. <laughs> Number one, Botox in the vagina. Yes. <laughs> That's what you started well, with? Well, I mean, that she came in with it, so I thought, you know what? I've never heard yes. about that. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. we all need to know about this. This is like the miracle drug, right? It is a miracle drug. That's true. Well, I think the the way to preface that is it's not necessarily for cosmetic reasons, right? But there's really... Um, a great movement happening right now. Um, one of my, a huge piece of my practice is pelvic pain. And that sort of overlaps with a lot of endometriosis, um, big fibroids. I do a lot of minimally invasive surgery. And so to help women with pelvic pain. And one of the things that people forget about, and I'm hoping there's someone listening that this might help because there's a lot of women who go to a gynecologist with pelvic pain they get imaging, they get a physical exam, and they're like, well, oh, we can't find anything. Mm-hmm. But the woman has pelvic pain. So it's really frustrating to feel like, why can't they figure out what's going on? And having pelvic pain impacts so many areas of a woman's life, right? Being a mom, having sex with your husband or partner, like it ruins things for a lot of women. And then you go to a doctor that you're hoping is going to help you, and they tell you it's not gynecologic, or they tell you that it's not real. And that's not true. And so the biggest thing that people miss is that the musculoskeletal portion of the pelvis is often a huge culprit, but you can't find anything. You don't see anything on the MRI. You don't see anything on the CT scan or the ultrasound. And so um, the pelvic floor muscles are sort of like this invisible thing that actually torture a lot of women. And so (laughs) I often explain it like um, we've all thrown our neck out right? I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're 40, we've done this, right? You just (laughs) decided to sleep and then you woke up. It's like, oh, the pillow doesn't like me now. Okay. (laughs) Um, And you do the robot Barbie for a few days (laughs) and you like can't turn 
and it hurts. And it's like, oh, I, I threw my, this muscle in my neck. And so you rest it, you ice it, you take Tylenol or Motrin, whatever, and um, hopefully it gets better because you can kind of relax it. Well, you can't in your pelvis be like, I'm not going to hold up my intestines today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to walk or sit right? Or lay down. Like they're always working. They're involuntary. And so then you add the fact that when you throw your neck out, someone doesn't come up to you and start hitting it. And that's essentially what a penis does when Mm -hmm. you have intercourse and you've thrown out these muscles in your vagina. So like, why does that happen? Well, you can have a cyst rupture and now you get this referred muscle spasm or you have a fibroid uterus, you have endometriosis, you have something that happened, you've stepped funny, you wore high heels and you stepped out of a car weird. Now you've got pelvic floor spasm. And one of the ways we treat this is by injecting Botox into the muscles to get them to calm down because you can't like intentionally rest them. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a newer up and coming treatment modality that we use along with like pelvic floor physical therapy. There is therapists that just work in the pelvis and internally. And then we have some other things we try to do, but it's really important to figure out like what the nidus of it is. Like why did I get this pelvic floor muscle spasm? But if you see a gynecologist or you see a family doctor or somebody and you've had imaging and you still have pelvic pain, like I'm describing, like you need to find someone who does pelvic pain who can do a really good exam because this can just go on for years and then people just think they're crazy. And mm-hmm. I see so many women that I basically have to undo years of trauma because they've been told nothing's wrong. Yeah. Right. And does insurance typically cover that? Yes. That's I can amazing. get insurance to cover it. Yeah. And it's a lot of units. Yeah. It's not like 40 for the... It's like a thousand yeah. brow. <laughs> well, it's actually interesting. I the toxic level is three hundred units, so they you really can't do more than three hundred. But probably these muscles are so big, I I could and it would be okay. But mm-hmm. we have to kind of stay within. So sometimes I I do it, and they're big muscles, so because they're always working, it wears off faster too. Yeah. So I usually sometimes people just need one round, and then we treat their endo, we treat the fibroid uterus, we remove it or whatever, and do it with the Botox, and then they get better. And other people need a few turns mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. But it's always fun to just talk about like, oh, yes, we put Botox in the Yeah, <laughs> I have never heard of that. I mean, not yeah. one time since you walked in today. So that's really so, interesting. I'm glad. I mean, pelvic pain is debilitating. Yeah. And there's so many women who just feel like alone mm-hmm. and that nobody can find anything. Yeah. So what do you think, like, off the clock, your girlfriends, your family, like, sister-in-laws, whatever you have, like, what is the number one question that they ask you? Being a board certified OBGYN, um, definitely about like why there's something about the 40s uh-huh. that like your body starts to just shut down. Not yeah, <laughs> that's one way to put it. Yeah, that's great. I just yeah. turned 41. I know. Awesome. Same. Um, like we've actually in in my residency when we were taught. Like I feel so fortunate. I've had some incredible mentors, and one of them, he's a reproductive endocrinologist and he's like the godfather we think of like understanding the menstrual cycle and hormones and everything. He taught me so much. And he used to say two things that always um, stuck with me. (laughs) One is um, I can make your grandma have a period if her uterus is normal. Like that just always cracks me up. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Like um, if you really understand the menstrual cycle and a lot of physicians don't um, or people don't, uh, then you can modify anything with hormones. Um, assuming there's normal anatomy. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing he always taught me is that the syndrome of the 40s is real, but you won't find it in any book. And I was always like, oh, that's so interesting. you know. And now that I'm 41 too, or as well, 
um, I can see it and I see it in my friends and you, I, my patient population is aging with me a little bit, right? Like yeah. I was the cool young hip OBGYN <laughs> who had all the people and we were delivering their babies yeah. and mm-hmm. doing all this. But now they're all kind of getting in and I still have some young patients, but you know, um, they're getting up into the forties and I'm seeing what he was talking about. And it really is just that estrogen is the, is the fountain of youth for women, mm-hmm. both for the vagina and we can talk about that, but also just everything. And as you start to get in your 40s, your egg quality just starts to drop. And then that it coincides because the eggs aren't as robust. Then your estrogen levels start to change. Mm-hmm. And that really drives a lot of the differences mm-hmm. that happen. And a lot of the you know insomnia, mood swings, sometimes hot flashes. Not everybody has those. And they could be occasional... Um, you know, just not feeling like yourself, difficulties with losing weight and libido changes. And what's so, such a bummer about this is it coincides with like mentally, I feel like, I don't know what you guys think, but it's mm-hmm. like, I've never felt more sure of myself, confident in mm-hmm. myself, unwaverable, yeah. grateful, gratitude, like yeah. loved mm-hmm. myself more. And I'm like, dang it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've never felt better mentally and more um, just happy about who I am Mm -hmm. and yet it's coupled with wrinkles and (laughs) hormone changes and just like, wow, that's not fair. And being a woman and societal pressures on us right Mm -hmm. now and, you know, Mm -hmm. look young, be young, Mm -hmm. everything young. And then, you know, with men, it's so different. You know, they get gray hair and they look like silver foxes and you oh, my know, husband, I'm like, man, yeah, you my have, I've been keeps with getting you. better looking. Yes. It's so annoying. So I, <laughs> I feel the same way. I mean, I met my husband in college mm-hmm. and I thought he was super cute then, but I find him more attractive yeah. all the yeah. time over yeah. years I because know. I like that gray mm-hmm. for sure. I totally agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So would you recommend hormone therapy to your patients or girlfriends uh-huh. like that? Is that Yes. 100%. Okay, that's 100% yes. So I think it's important to like spell out what actually happened in the media and society that drove people to feeling like this isn't safe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, one thing that I'm really passionate about as a physician is explaining risk assignment because we are really bad in this country mm-hmm. about that. And the media is all about like clickbait, right? Yeah. And getting viewers. And so they'll take stories and statistics and totally misrepresent them and yeah. scare people into things. I mean, we saw that a lot with mm-hmm. the um, most recent pandemic and we see it all the time with just other stuff. And so it's really important to understand like relative risk odds ratio and like but that's something like yeah. who wants to learn about that mm-hmm. so like already people like were like that's boring Dr. Martin I'm like no <laughs> mm-hmm. but I think how we can translate it into a way that's understandable is that you know we do things every day that are very risky mm-hmm. right yeah. like if anybody listening and anyone at this table texts and drives I'm raising yes. my hand I'm trying yeah. to stop right mm-hmm. it's yeah. hard not to that's actually like a huge risk factor yeah. for getting a car accident and dying and that's way riskier than any medication I'm going to prescribe anybody. And we have to realize like one thing that also drives a lot of weirdness in our culture is that there's still this underculture that like women are to blame if anything goes wrong with their baby. And so Mm -hmm. that's why they never take a Tylenol. And it's like, oh, but she just suffered for nine months. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's not normal to do that. Or anything that goes wrong or anything that I do or put into my, like that I'm going to, 
I'm guilty for mm-hmm. it. And so women have the mom guilt. We all have that. It descends from the heavens like bricks. It <laughs> yes, absolutely it does. does. And so it's like every choice feels like I'm ruining my child because yeah. I gave yeah. them the Huggies diaper yeah. Yeah. instead of the other one. And then none of that's real, yeah. but we create that and then we suffer as yeah. women because of it. And I think that translates to everything. And so we have to realize that my quality of life, your quality of life, any of my friends' quality of life, my patients, it's like that is just as important yeah. and just as valuable as some really esoteric theoretical risk that you might get a blood clot. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. And that risk is so low, and I'll tell you the numbers, but like to me, I just am so frustrated always by the way that society forces women to feel like they're responsible for everything, and if anything bad happens, it's their fault. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we see a huge generation of women with trauma, mm-hmm. depression, and anxiety, and not giving themselves grace. Yeah. And then we're making weird choices like, oh, I'm going to suffer and not feel good yeah. because I don't want to have this happen when you're really doing things every day that are way riskier. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. it totally does. That's a really good way to explain it, actually. Mm-hmm. It's super frustrating because mm-hmm. I see so many women just like torturing themselves. Yeah. I'm like, I have a solution. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and but when we look at like the Women's Health Initiative, which was, have you guys heard of that study? It was, big study that came out and it was actually designed to look at hormone use in, um, it wasn't even designed, excuse me, for hormone use, but it included some of that in the cohort. But the average age of the patient in the study was like 61. So that's like, you know, grandma who's been been out of menopause for probably 10 years because average age of menopause, which is defined as um, a whole year with no menstrual period, that um, time frame is usually a 51 in the United States. So 10 years post that, these are the women that were in the study. And then they looked at the rates of breast cancer and venous thromboembolism or a stroke or a blood clot in that population of women who ended up being on hormones. And they looked at those that were on estrogen only or estrogen and progesterone. Well, the challenge is that's not the people who are really taking hormone therapy yeah. or who you would want to initiate on hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. And so when we looked at those that group, it was a huge volume of patients. There was quoted in, in the media and everything, a 20% increase in breast cancer in the estrogen and progesterone arm. But what that actually looked like in hard numbers was it went from eight women to 13 women in 10,000 patients. So that was five more patients. That's not what 20% sounds like, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So when I have a conversation with my patients, I say, listen, you can't sleep at night. You can't have sex with your husband. Mm-hmm. You're moody. You're about to get a divorce because like nobody's yeah. getting along and you are miserable. Now, if we really look at the risk, there's yes, there is maybe a little bit more increased chance that you're gonna you could get breast cancer, but that is only five more patients out of ten thousand. Yeah, and you're texting and driving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, let's really think about this. Will help you, and so and we're doing mammograms and we're gonna do breast yeah. exam, like all the things to protect it. And yeah. you know, one in eight women will get breast cancer anyway. Yeah. And so I just think like we have to reframe the conversation Mm -hmm. to be like, this is actually, if I give you an estrogen patch and some progesterone to protect your uterus, like you'll get your life back. Yeah. Is that the form that you would, that you suggest the most to your patients or friends and is the patch? Yeah. There's a few different options for hormone replacement. So, um, like I was saying earlier, there's a lot of stuff in the media and, you know, I practice at an academic institution and I teach, learning resident physicians and medical students. So um, I try to stay really on brand with what Mm -hmm. the ACOG recommendations are. And so those are really, um, and NAMS, which is the National Menopause Society. And there's so much good data about those things. So you have a few different modalities. You can do oral or patch Mm -hmm. for estrogen. 
Um, all of the, you know, bioidentical creams and things like it's not any really valid like benefit to using them only because you can get all the same things with the cream and the with the oral and the patch, and you can't unfortunately with some of the creams you can't. Um, control how much as easily. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but no matter what, if it's like a plant estrogen, it's still estrogen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we just want to give you the estrogen back. Yeah. And so that's usually um, what helps. And I think in the perimenopausal or the 40s, like we're talking yeah. about, you know, one month you'll be like, fine. Yeah. Because that month was a good egg. Yeah. You still had like a <laughs> mm -hmm. good egg. And then the next month you'll have like your ovaries like... <laughs> <laughs> and it like has a bad egg. And when it's the egg quality is worse, there's not as much estrogen mm -hmm. production. And that's when you'll have a low. And so often in my patients who are in like that perimenopause age, just simply giving them a little estrogen support that provides this level that they just never drop below, it makes mm -hmm. all the difference. And so the reason I like the patch is there is, even though the blood clot risk is super low, um, I mean, anyone who's been pregnant, that's the biggest time you're going to yeah. get a blood clot. Yeah. Even birth control pills are extraordinarily safe. Um, but the patch is even lower. And so, but it's a little bit safer from a blood clot yeah. risk or reduced even further than the oral. But the benefit of taking oral is when you take oral contraceptives with estrogen or an oral estrogen, you actually get really great skin results. Mm -hmm. And so hmm. the reason we're adding okay, estrogen to yeah. everybody's yeah. <laughs> So the reason you get good results there is because you increase a hormone called yeah. sex binding globulin and that binds up any free testosterone that's floating around and testosterone drives acne and skin stuff. Mm -hmm. So people will see a benefit. So like if I have a woman who's in her forties who has like a little bit of acne that's annoying her or hair growth, um, cause that's fun to now have mm -hmm. chin hair. Yeah, yeah. You have that. And then they need some support. Then I would preferentially pick an oral option there, mm -hmm. um, versus I love the patch and an I like an IUD. Mm -hmm. So the because you if you still have a uterus you need progesterone to protect the lining of mm -hmm. your uterus. So I call the patch IUD is the set it and forget it method because you yeah. don't have to like. I have a couple remember. friends who absolutely swear by it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They love it. Yeah, and what do they sort of feel like? No, they just said that you know that you don't have a period. Mm -hmm. It's it it the and I'm not a medical professional, so just stop me if I'm going in a different direction than I should be, but. Um, they and a lot of them are two of my good friends really are uh, medical professionals and they have it and they recommend it and then they told my other friends so it's that the IUD it basically all of the hormones stay localized mm -hmm. is that true mm -hmm. and then and so it's it's little to no risk you have no period um, some of them say they would get like a UTI when you first get it placed um, it's a little uncomfortable and takes about a month to two months and one of them was like really frustrated and she was like I'm just getting this out and then it went it all went away her yeah. body just yeah adjusted. accepted it adjusted it and went yeah. on you know um, I love I love them I think they're you know, both for my patient experience, and I often joke like I have a trench coat of birth control slash uh -huh. bleeding thing <laughs> that I can offer. <laughs> um, and I personally have tried so many of them yeah. because I was like, I kind of like want to know, right? Yeah. Okay, I tried. This. So I love the the progesterone eluding IUDs. There's uh -huh. a few different options now, and you're right, it stays super local. And what it does is it thins the lining out over time. So that's why at first it can be a little crampy, or you have a little bit of breakthrough bleeding. Um, but after three months, typically people, and I usually say, wait three months mm -hmm, at the mm -hmm. most, maybe six. And I promise you'll love it. And then most Which of the three people, months is a long time to be uncomfortable. It, yeah. I think but if I was uncomfortable for two weeks, I'd be like, you know what? I'm yeah. done. Take yeah, it out. It's, <laughs> more, it's more just like the bleeding. That's annoying. Uh -huh. Like a little okay. spotting that's annoying, but like, yeah. you know, I, if we give you Motrin or whatever, yeah. most people are fine. 
Okay. Yeah. But I just like, don't take it out yet. I promise you'll really like it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. but you, you can use it for abnormal or heavy periods that are mm-hmm. just like crazy. First of all, blood clots aren't normal when you have a period. So yeah. please, if you're listening oh and you have God. blood clots, like that actually means that it's too heavy. Yeah. So that, that was me. So. <laughs> That's on our list too. Yeah. Like yeah. these blood clots, like not, a pro- not normal. For the love. I mean, it's like. Yeah. Not normal. Well, here's why it's not normal. So I always like to try to translate actual science so that you know it's not just me with a random opinion, right? But your period shouldn't be like whole blood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. It should be like a little bit of tissue and actually has more content of like um, chemicals that help to break up blood clots and like make them Mm -hmm. not present. And um, it also has prostaglandins in it and that's what causes your uterus to cramp and it causes discomfort. So what we tell women is if you have blood clots, it means you're bleeding through or you're having so much bleeding that you're burning through all of the chemicals that are supposed to break them down. And so that's actually a really objective way for me to know that someone's bleeding too much. And, you know, anemia or having like a blood count check and having that be fine isn't actually as helpful always because it just means like, oh, good, your bone marrow is keeping up with your Mm -hmm. sanguination every month. But like if you're tired and you have blood clots and you're just not feeling well, um, it could be that you are bleeding too much and you need something for your period. And so the classic um, thing that we see is heavy bleeding just at the time of your period where you're having blood clots, you need an ultrasound really because a fibroid is common in the 40s or a polyp. Mm -hmm. Even in the 30s, I mean, that keeps me busy. I remove a lot of fibroids and a lot of polyps. And people get their life back and then also, again, an IUD can help. Even if you don't have... um, a fibroid or a polyp, even something called adenomyosis can mm-hmm. happen and that can cause heavy bleeding. So the IUDs yeah. can be really a helpful first step to reducing that. But yeah. people don't feel good if they're bleeding that much, right? Yeah. And it might just be subtle. So yeah. something I, to think about. Oh, I, I have some, I mean, I've gone through it. I know Brandy's gone through it. I, mean, I had a his partial hysterectomy and it yes. was life-changing for me. Yeah. Like absolutely life-changing. Yeah. The amount I mean, of blood yeah, that I yeah. was bleeding. I used to tell my husband, like, oh, you're just going to find me like, I'm going to just be bled <laughs> out on the floor. Yeah. Like, call the ambulance, you know, because <laughs> things are not going, right. things are not going yeah, right. And that's something so scary, is seriously right? wrong. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. that's another area where like, the quality of life is affected. Yeah. You're bleeding all the time. You don't feel yeah. good. You can't go places. Yeah. You have accidents. You're missing yeah. work. You're missing school. Yeah. Um, again, affecting your love life. Yeah. Those are really terrible things. And so I will just say something with what you said because people say all the time. And it's probably just because I'm a surgeon. I'm like, no, we got we to gotta fix this. But um, so you, unless your cervix is left behind, you had a total hysterectomy. Oh, Okay. okay. Yeah. So this is a common misnomer. So I'm actually really glad you brought it yeah. up because it's important when you tell your your surgeon or mm-hmm. your doctors what you had. Um, people say partial, and that's been that goes around all the time yeah. because you left your ovaries. But yeah. those are separate. So we typically say a complete hysterectomy means that we removed your tubes, uterus, and cervix. Um, and if you get an oophorectomy, that's when we remove mm-hmm. the ovaries. Mm-hmm. So a partial hysterectomy is something that kind of fell out of favor because it is a thing. Yeah. And that's where we would leave the cervix. Um, but that just created a lot of problems. Yeah. So now a big part of my practice is taking out people's cervixes when they already had a hysterectomy. Oh, and good. it's a really fun surgery no, because now cervix. everything's like stuck together. <laughs> yeah. And But I actually like, that's like what yeah. I love to do. Is, my cervix went with it. So yeah, I guess so I had, had a total. So <laughs> you had a total hysterectomy, but you, you still have your ovaries and that's really important. So the uterus doesn't do any hormone stuff. And so... Mm-hmm you can take those 
parts out if they're torturing you mm-hmm. um, and leave the ovaries and you don't turn into a grandma. Like yeah. I tell my patients, like, you're like, I want it all out. No, you don't. Right. Yeah. Once we take those ovaries, you yeah. will literally become a grandma tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. unless you really need them out, I don't recommend it. We're going to pause right there. And then we'll be back next week with part two with Dr. Courtney Martin. Mm-hmm.